We are better together. Clownfish and anemones have a mutually beneficial relationship. The anemone offers protection, and the fish keeps the anemone clean from bacteria. God created us each with a special purpose. When we do our part, all benefit. I need what you have to offer, and you need me to do my part. We are each unique and important, and we are infinitely better together. All right. Um, so this week we're continuing, as you can see with the couches. We've got two weeks left in this series, and uh, I love it. It's been awesome. It's called This Is My Story, and we've been sharing stories of people in our church and just sort of testimonies, and like their life story, the story of God in their life. Um, it's very difficult for me um, to do this every week uh, because I'm not preaching, and so I have to get a little something in. Um, I think it's a, it's something we've it's a good thing that we're doing. It's been great hearing everybody's stories, and I'm excited to hear it. But just so you know, I have to get a little sermon out. So there's going to be just a little something I want to share first, and then I'm going to let them come on up and uh, and tell their story. But just want to give you some uh, just some thoughts first because I said I'm going to my head's going to explode if I don't. Um, so. Each week we've been talking about a different theme, something about the stories and why we're doing this to try and give some instruction. And really the reason, the, the whole big reason why we're doing this series is to encourage you to tell your story. I want you to not just hear the stories on the stage, right, but to be encouraged that you've got a story to tell. Now, I don't want you to raise your hands, but I'm sure there's some of you that as you sit there week after week, you go, man, I'm glad he didn't call me because I don't have a story. Or my story's not this, or my story's not that, or, you know, I don't think I really have a story. I don't know what my story is, or I don't, you know, and my story's not good enough, right? My story's not dramatic enough, like theirs, or my story's not as faith-filled as theirs, or my story's too messy, or, you know, my story's still in progress, and I'm not really done yet, I'm not where they're at. And I want to I just, I want to encourage you today. Um, in Revelation chapter 12, Beginning in verse 10, John, the disciple, is writing down this sort of uh, vision that he gets from God. And uh, God is showing him this supernatural dream, kind of just how, how things are going to go. And it's more about like the end, how, how the end is going to go. It's really how, how the story ends, um, which is a really interesting thing. It's fascinating. If you haven't read Revelation, you can read it. Good luck trying to figure it out. I'm still working on it. Um, there's just a lot of metaphors in there. and It's a lot of it's interesting. But one of the things he says in there, he says this, he says, then I heard, just as John writing this, says, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. So he's saying it's come at last. This is what we've been hoping for. It's finally here. So that's going to be a good day, right? It's going to be a really good day. Here it comes. And this is what he says. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Think about this for a minute. The enemy is called the accuser. Anybody ever get accused of something that you didn't do? Maybe by a brother or a sister, right? You know, they said this, they said that. You know, with children, you know, it's always, the hard part is finding out what's true, right? Well, they said, you know, he said, she said, even in a court of law, you've got accusations, right? And, and it's, well, what's true? You know, in a workplace, there's accusations made. Well, they didn't, and, and he didn't, and I didn't, and she didn't, and what's true? There's, there's this sense of accusation. And the enemy, whether you know it or not, is trying to constantly accuse you of things. 
And it happens inside, internally. And you hear things like, wow, you really blew it that time. Way to go. You knew better. Anybody ever hear those words? You knew better. How about, how could I be so foolish? Why did I do that? I always make a mess of things. I deserve the pain I have in my life. God is so disappointed in me. I'll never be good enough. Not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not disciplined enough. I'm not religious enough. I can't do this. I'm too weak. I'm too, I'm too foolish. I'm too tired. I'm too scared. I'm too far gone. The accuser is just there giving you self-talk. Anybody say, I'm my own worst critic. No, you're not. It's the enemy speaking into your heart and you believe it and you think it's you just being tough on you. But what it is, it's an accuser just shouting things into your spirit and breaking you down. Lies. And he accuses us of all these things that are not true. Like you're too weak. You're not smart enough. You're worthless. And you're alone. And you're not enough. Your story's not enough. There's nothing in you that's enough. The accuser. Do you hear it? Maybe you hear it in your own life and you know what that voice is inside of you constantly accusing you. Let me tell you, this is real. This is what we deal with every day. The, the, the Bible is very clear that your enemy is like a lion. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants your destruction, your demise, nothing good. God works everything for our good. The enemy wants everything for your harm. That's real, right? This is very real. I'm not just theoretical enemy. No, there's a real enemy who wants you done with. So, Pastor Dan, what are, why are you trying to beat us down today? I'm not. I'm not. The thing is, it can be so easy to believe those accusations that we hear inside of us. And this is what I want you to know about what John said. I'm, if that's you today, if you're hearing those voices inside your spirit, if you're hearing them in your head, if you hear them all the time, people telling you there's, there's, there's voices of accusation about you, I'm so glad you're here today. I really am. I pray that you would be here today to hear this because John's not done talking. And he says this, the accuser has been thrown down. And this, he says, and they, the accused, have defeated him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Let me tell you, two things defeat the accusations of the enemy. One, the fact that Jesus already defeated him. But it's interesting because that's not enough. You don't automatically defeat the enemy because Jesus did everything that you couldn't do. It takes the blood of the Lamb. Without Jesus, you can't do anything. But that in itself isn't enough. You've got to step forward and respond to it. And you've got to, sell, you've got to speak out your story. You've got to tell your story. This is my story. You say I'm weak. I am weak. But let me tell you about the blood of Jesus that makes me strong. You say I'm foolish. I am. But let me tell you about the blood of Jesus that makes me wise. Right? You say I'm not enough, and that's true, but let me tell you my story. My story is about Christ in me, who is more than enough. Okay? We fight the enemy with our story. This is good. Really good. You should be getting excited about that. That's in good stuff. One, or seriously, let me tell you. The more you tell your story, the more you defeat the enemy. You don't, it's not just, it's nice to share your story for other people. And it's not just nice to think about others to tell your story. You need it for you. Because when you tell your story, it silences the voice of the enemy that tells you you're not enough, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough. We defeat the accuser by the blood 
of our Lamb, of Jesus Christ our Lord, by what He has done, by the sacrifice on the cross, that was, that was the left hook, right? That was this. That was the left hook, all right? And then the word, the uppercut, that's your testimony right there. One-two punch, right? I mean, you can do one-two like this, one-two, however you want to do it. All right, we got some MMA guys, right? You can do whatever you want to do. I don't care. But it's a two-punch. Blood of the Lamb, word of your testimony. When you speak out, you defeat the accusations of the enemy. Come on, you need to know this. This is really important. I want to encourage you today. There's an old song. Anybody remember a singer named Carmen? Yes, a few of you who grew up in church. You remember this? It was cheesy, man. But was it cheesy? Oh, boy. But he's got this. He didn't really sing. He kind of talked and told stories to music. I don't really understand what was going on back then. But as a kid, I loved it. I don't know. It was pretty cool. And he had this old, there was this like dialogue going on. And he'd say, you know, when the enemy reminds you of your past accusations, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to remind him of his future. Like, oh, that's good. That's good. When the enemy reminds you of your past, remind him of his future by telling the story. Let me tell you my testimony. Yes, I deserve death. That's my, yes, I'm guilty. Yes, I'm not enough. Yes, I've fallen short. That's my story. Those are the accusations. But let me tell you, I've read it by the blood of the Lamb. I know the end of the story, and we win. We win forever. Eternal life is ours. Our story is a weapon that defeats the enemy. And I want to encourage you, your story is the same today. Tell your story, not just for the benefit of other people, which it is. Remember, you tell your story. Let other people know God's done this for me. He can do it again for you. Right? We, we did all this. Like, there's so many things. There's so much power to testimony. Reveals the power of God. Right? God's presence shows up there. But when you tell the story, it defeats and silences the voice of the enemy. So today I want to invite up Andre and Rachel Rivera. They're going to share their story with us. And as they share their story, I want to encourage you to listen to how God has enabled them to overcome through their story and listen for it in them. Would you welcome them this morning? Hey guys, how you doing? Doing good? You got your mics? All right, make sure we're good. All right. So thank you so much for doing this. I know. <laughs> so thrilled to do this. Not nervous at all, but they're going to do great. And uh, again, when you tell your story, you don't have to make anything up. Just be you. Just be you. So thank you, guys. We met Andre and Rachel um, right at the lake, right here. We were having Life Tree on the Lake, our outdoor service, many, many, many years ago. We did an outdoor service there. Um, we thought it was a great idea, and it was a lot of fun, except that it was very weather-dependent. We didn't real, And then there's no bathrooms, and so it was like a lot of logistics we just hadn't thought about. But it sounded like a good idea. Let's do a service outside. What could possibly go wrong? And then there was planes flying and geese honking and dogs barking, and it was like 95 degrees. And uh, But it, hey, the best thing that came out of that, I think, is that they were walking their dog that day, dogs, plural, around the lake, and were like, what is this? And so they stopped and took their dogs to church. And hey, dogs could come to church. That was a good thing. Yeah. And uh, and we got to meet you guys. And uh, it's been awesome. Uh, we fought for them. They tried moving away. We wouldn't let them. We made them come back. To, and so now they're back. And they bought a house and they're here for good. So we're we're very excited. Very excited to, to have them here. So, uh, so Andre, Rachel, tell us a little bit about yourself. So first we'll start with this. Uh, what was life like? Introduce yourself and then tell us what was life like growing up, you know, early years. What was, 
Where'd you guys grow up, and uh, what was life like as a kid for you? Um, first, I would like to mention that my feet don't reach the floor. <laughs> Her feet don't reach. I'm sorry. There's a... <laughs> So, no, you're, you're <laughs> looking for a um, stool. <laughs> so I grew up in Linden, New Jersey, so upper central Jersey, um, family of five, two brothers, one older, one younger, um, in an interesting Haitian family. So my parents came over from Haiti in the 70s, and we got to live that out in, in Linden where you're being told what life would be like in Haiti, but you get the comforts of the United States and um, just all the weirdness that goes along with that. So just um, being brought up with two cultures, actually, growing up, and it has influenced a lot of my life. But a good life, um, middle-class family, um, great, great memories. Love my parents, love my brothers. My brothers hang out with my husband like, like they're best friends. Just a good time. Awesome. I also grew up in uh, North Jersey, a little further north in Union City. Um, not New, Union, New Jersey. It's a little different. It's closer to Jersey City. Um, I was actually born in Puerto Rico, and we moved to Jersey when I was about five. So, so I started learning English then. And a uh, short story is that I started learning English by watching Looney Tunes. So <laughs> <laughs> for a while, I spoke like Elmer Fudd, but I didn't know it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I would, I'd pay to hear that. <laughs> I thought I told you. Um, Right, so it was myself, my sister, and my parents, um, North Jersey, Union City. We, it was a good life. Um, we didn't make much money, but I didn't really realize it. My parents always tried to provide. Uh, my father was a, he was a truck driver while I was growing up. Uh, before he got married, he was a, an undercover police officer. So a lot of our bonding is him teaching me how to be an undercover police officer. So... <laughs> I got that introduction. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, very cool. Me growing up. Yeah, that's awesome. And someday I'm going to hear you talk like Elmer Fudd. I can't wait. We're going to have to do that publicly, but later. <laughs> um, so, you know, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? And, you know, growing up in that those kind of environments, like, did you have, you know, dreams? What were you, you going to be when you, when you grew up? I was either going to be a fire person it was fireman, but we changed that now in 2017, fire woman, a fire yes. person, um, or a lawyer. Or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Okay, and why, why those? Um, I have no idea. I just thought it was cool to be able to go up the ladder and down the pole. Just, it just sounded like fun, like it'd be a lot of fun. Um, and <laughs> the, the lawyer, I think that was more from watching the Cosby show and wanting to be like Claire Huxtable because she didn't do much on the show. Like she was a lawyer, but she never practiced law and she was just always home with the kids. So I thought that would be pretty cool. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, it's amazing the influence TV has had already. Yes. Um, <laughs> so extrapolating from there. So now what? You know, what, what do you do? Tell us just a little bit about what, what your career path, like what you've become and what you've chosen to do with your life. So interestingly, the law thing kept going. So I kept wanting to be a lawyer. 
um, when I decided to go to college, I definitely wanted to do law, but I knew I would have to specialize. My uncle was in pharmacy school at the time, so he said, specialize in pharmacy law. So go to law, pharmacy school first and then go, out, go to law school. So I went to pharmacy school. The goal was to take my LSATs um, the last year of pharmacy school. Um, my third clinical rotation, so my last year of pharmacy school, my third rotation was law. I was so excited about it, but my second rotation was the Indian Health Service. So my best friend and I drove out to New Mexico and lived on a reservation for five weeks, and I totally fell in love with um, counseling patients and learning a new language, learning Navajo, Yate for all those people out there who speak Navajo. Um, wow, and, so many. And I was like, oh Anybody? my gosh. No, no Navajo. No, right. so, and I was like, this is it. I, I, I think I'm going to change what I'm going to do, but my next rotation was law. So I did my law rotation, um, and some, some things went down in that rotation, including a phar fellow pharmacy student doing some illegal things that never allowed him to become a pharmacist. And between that, my preceptor and a judge, I felt God calling me back to the reservation. So I ended up, after graduating, actually um, moving to um, the Hopi Reservation and living out there for two and a half years. And let me just tell you, Beth two and a half years of my life. I wish I could tell that story for a long time, but I won't. So that's how I became a pharmacist. So, and Rachel's got her doctorate now. She's a yes. pharmacist officially. Yes. I am a pharmacist. I have my doctorate in pharmacy from Rutgers, uh, the best university on earth. <laughs> um, I have lots of emotions towards a lot of things, but I, I love my time at Rutgers and I'm a pharmacist and I practice in Trenton, New Jersey. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So, all right, Andre, how about you? What did you want to be when you were a kid, man? I actually wanted to be a military officer or a spy. <laughs> I'm really not sure why. <laughs> um, I think it might have to do with my uncle, who was uh, uh, he was a colonel. Uh, he was also an airborne ranger. Um, although I didn't spend much time with him, he was uh, a huge influence in my life. Um, I also remember saying, uh, talking to my father and saying, oh, I want to be a cop like you were. And he said... We should be more um, than what I was. So being a little kid, I was like, well, he was a cop. Cops help the community. I want to help the country. Hmm. Yeah, officer, military officer. All right. And so then tell us now what, what you do now, like how that life, you know, played out for you. Um, now I'm a systems administrator for supercomputers at Princeton University. However, I did attain my goal of being a military officer, and I was an uh, intelligence officer for the Army. Yeah, for how long were you, how long did you do that? I was in the Army for 14 years, um, made it to the rank of captain, uh, deployed to Iraq once, and I was actually able to work with uh, Special Forces, Green Berets, and others. Um, so I was basically a spy. <laughs> <laughs> so, check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. I mean, there's a, as you can tell, there's a lot to the stories here that you just can't get to. You know, but I encourage you, if you ever get a chance to sit down with, with anybody in our church, sit down and talk and, and get to know, you know, what life is. I mean, life on a reservation, like right there. I mean, that's, I mean, the conversation, I just love to know, you know, so much of what was, of, of what that was like, you know, and the same thing, like 14 years in the military and tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, right? Like, no, just Iraq. Just, just Iraq, just Iraq. Like what, just the experiences, like what happened there and, um, what, at least what Andre is allowed to talk about, because most of what happened he's not allowed to talk about. Um, 
And uh, I think my favorite story, Andre's not going to tell it, but he's, he's basically also a, a hacker. He's really good with computers, and he worked at Princeton. He works at Princeton. And they, his, one of his jobs there in the IT department was working with printers. And they had to refill the ink, like just, make, just maintain the printers. And he was like, oh, this is, this is mindless. I can't just go around changing toner. So he wrote a code that taught the printers that when they were running low on ink, they would send a, a, a message to Staples and order their own toner. And so that when the professors would come in and be like, we need toner, he'd be like, yeah, it's right there. Your computer ordered it. <laughs> like, that is pretty cool, man. That's, that's pretty impressive. So he's, yeah, it's just, a, it's just awesome stuff. Toner, who's got time for that? I mean. that? Yeah, yeah, no one's got time for ordering ink, so I've got to figure out how to do that. Um, so then switching to, to more the faith side of things, you know, how, what was faith like for you as a kid? Did you have any, you know, who were some of the influences, you know, in your growing up years in terms of your understanding of who God was? And whoever wants to answer. Okay. Sure. Um, so I guess my influence is, uh, influence from my parents really came from them sending me to Catholic school. Um, they raised me Catholic. Um, they were, they, they sent me to Catholic school uh, for the education, um, but it was also I, I learned about God and went to church all the time, you know, religiously. But my biggest influence was more my grandmother, uh, who would always tell me stories and always talk about these um, these gang of guys that um, would hang out together and they'd do miracles. And as I grew older, I realized that she was she's reading the entire Bible to me. So as I as I grew older and I started um, becoming a Christian, I realized that I knew a lot about the Bible, <laughs> different stories just from her and yeah. her faith in God. That's awesome. Yeah, really cool. All right, Rachel, how about you? Um, so in addition to my family of five, we have a, an extended. Um, family, all my aunts and uncles, whom my husband still, I don't know, has met all of them. A um, hundred people from my side of the family showed up to our wedding. Wow. Right. Um, so. <laughs> it's more. <laughs> it's more. There might, there might have been more. But um, my grandfather was um, a pastor. Uh, he had converted from Catholicism um, to Protestantism, um, Pentecostal, um, early on. So. It's kind of weird. Um, so my family did a lot of Catholic things. So I think a lot of them went up to like confirmation in the Catholic Church, but then he converted. So the whole family converted with him, and then he became a pastor. And so I always had um, the Christian faith in my life, just every, just everywhere. Um, so part of the issue I mentioned that my family is Haitian, and so um, especially in third world countries, education public education is looked down upon. And so if you can afford to send your kids to Catholic school, then you've really done them a service, and that's the best education that they're going to get. And so my parents came over with the same thought process, so all three of us went through Catholic school from K through 12. So there's a lot of Catholic influence in our life. Um, um, my mother has actually converted back to Catholicism. It's really been a trip for her. But um, I don't ever know a time when God was not in our lives and just ever present. Um, you, you really couldn't look around and say that God was not in our life, which is really strange also, because once again, we're Haitian. I'm going to keep mentioning that. And another aspect of being Haitian is understanding that there's also voodoo. 
And so nobody in our family practiced, but there was always the understanding that there are evil forces and there are people that support that and acknowledge that. And we know that it's there, but we don't bring that into our family. So just a lot of that growing up. Mm -hmm. Wow. So was there a moment for you, either of you, where you had like this sort of aha moment, light bulb, you know, encounter with God that it became real to you, you know, became more from like, no, this is what we, you know, kind of grew up with hearing it, you know, but was there a moment that you can look back on and say, or, or an experience or something that, you know, made faith kind of real to you, you know, personal to you? Was there anything like that? Sure. Um, so um, I started looking for my relationship with God while I was in pharmacy school and, um, when I was around 21, 22, I was having a lot of um, medical issues um, that eventually required me to get uh, a colonoscopy, like just really early on, 21, 22 doesn't necessarily make sense. But my father had died of colorectal cancer when I was 19, so there was thought that you know I might be at risk. Um, and so going through that whole process, um, coming up positive for polyps, um, biopsying that, um, and ensuring that it wasn't cancer, and it wasn't cancerous at the time, um, just really brought me a lot closer to God and seeking, like, a real relationship with him. Like, I mean, he dictated my future, and it could have gone either way, and he allowed me to not have cancer at that time. Um, And I think I've just always taken that with me. I I remember exactly where I was in church that day when I decided that I was going to be a Christian and I was going to be a Christian for life, um, just uh, on my own accord, not what my family had kind of dictated to me, but the decision I made, um, and it was all surrounding that time, and I've never looked back. Yeah. Cool. I think for me it was, um, so when I was in high school, I applied to go to West Point um, because I figured that was the best way to become an off, a military officer. Um, so I did. Everything I did in high school was geared towards going to West Point, uh, applying to West Point, seeing exactly what they wanted, and I did everything. Um, and then I got in. And then, like a month before I was supposed to report, they looked through my medical records and they saw that I might have had asthma, so they pulled my acceptance. So... I was really angry about that. Um, so I ended up going to Rutgers, and my mother always said, just pray to God, and whatever God wants you to do, um, you'll figure it out, and you'll be able to do it. And I thought that it was going into the Army and being a military officer, and I was like, it's impossible. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, I prayed to God, and then after a year at Rutgers, I met a, a recruiter that somehow was able to get me he got me into the military, and he said that if I wanted to be an officer, it was going to be very hard, and it'll take a while. Um, but, you know, long story short, uh, I was able to do it. But just getting uh, getting back into the military and getting back into everything I wanted to do, was, I thought, was like a miracle. So I guess from then on, it was... Um, I started thinking about everything that my grandmother had said, who had died at the time. Um, and how uh, how powerful prayer is. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So how would you describe, like, your personal relationship with God now? You know, what would you say, like, just in your own words, like, how would you describe it to somebody who may not have faith? Like, how would you say, you know, 
you interact with God now? What's that like for you? Um, so I interact with God on an at least daily basis um, throughout the day, every day. Um, I think I misunderstand this question. I'm sorry. Just saying, how would you just describe your personal relationship with God? Okay. Um, so God is my Lord and Savior, and um, I do interact with him on a daily basis pretty much throughout everything that I do. Um, at work, at home, in relationships, um, he is ever-present. Um, I mentioned that I work in Trenton, pretty much the heart of Trenton, and um, working with patients who have literally nothing um, tends to be who I find has the most vocal faith. Um, this also happened on the reservation. The reservation had a minimum 65% unemployment rate, which I may assume that Trenton may have something similar as well. And those are the patients that um, I have, like, the deepest connections with. They talk about God um, through their medical issues, through their life issues. Um, you guys have never come to my pharmacy, but if you can just imagine me doing a praise dance <laughs> with a patient, <laughs> I know the camera's around, and I'm just thinking that um, security must think that I'm losing my mind in the pharmacy, but I'm doing a praise dance because <laughs> one of my patients has just graduated with her bachelor's, which, you know, she might be like 49, and she just never thought she would, but, yeah. like, by God. Um, awesome. You know, and it's just really awesome to be able to interact with people like that yeah. on a pretty regular basis. Cool. All right. Um, think about the same way. It's um, God is everywhere. Um, I see him just all the time. Um, I've seen the most horrific things imaginable on the planet, um, and I've seen the best. Um, and I see his hand in everything, uh, like on a daily basis, just the smallest things that happen that, you know, four weeks later, lead to the biggest things. Mm-hmm. So for you, I mean, you've seen a lot, obviously, you know, when you spend that much time over there. Like, What are, you know, what's some of the, what are the hardest parts about trusting God? You know, when are those moments that challenge your faith the most? You know, what, what is it that make is hardest for you to trust God? Um, I guess just letting go. It's the hardest. Um, through all my training, um, I always wanted to be in control. I was trained to be in control. Um, and I guess I remember, I feel like I'm harping on <laughs> going to Iraq a lot. Um, but I remember getting to Kuwait and praying to God and saying, um, you know, my life is in your hands, so whatever happens, happens, and I'm not even going to think about what might happen or anything like that. I'm just going to do my job. I'm going to do the best for my, my soldiers and everyone around me, and I just let go, mm. and no stress. Yeah. The entire time I was there, no stress. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. About you, what are some of the things that challenge your faith the most? Um, so, for nine and a half years of my pharmacy career, I was a United States Public Health Service officer. Um, Would you like to explain what that means? 
Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. So um, there are seven uniformed services of um, the United States. The first five are armed services, Army, Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard. And then there are two uniformed services that are not armed, and that's the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. Um, they do the weather. NOAA. Thing. NOAA. NOAA, yeah, they do the they do weather. Um, and then the United States Public Health Service, which is under the Surgeon General of the United States, and we are mostly healthcare professionals uh, that are all officers, and we um, live somewhere in the United States, Alaska, Hawaii, Guam, Puerto Rico, and we take care of the health of the nation. So if you think of the CDC, the NIH, um, the Indian Health Service, the Bureau of Prisons, because nobody wants to go there, that's where we are. Um, and so I worked on, like I said, Native American Reservation, and then um, three prisons thereafter. Um, and I was having a pretty good career. Um, I had made it to the rank of 05 commander and um, had a terrible experience um, at, my, at my last prison, just working with some of the most just terrible people. <laughs> I don't know how to say that in a nice way, but just working with some really terrible people. And um, it wasn't working out very well for me at the time. Andre and I were in marriage counseling, um, secondary to just living with someone with PTSD, right? So Andre has PTSD from Iraq. And um, work was just really overwhelming. I was working 17-hour days. There was an, a chicken pox outbreak with 5,000 grown adult men. It just, it was ridiculous. And um, I wasn't doing very well handling that situation at all. And um, I um, took a break um, and I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder actually at the time. And that was really hard for me um, because I realized that all the plans that I had set forth for myself in the public health service, you know, making it to captain, retiring at that point was probably not going to happen. And um, um, I did have to leave um, the public health service, and but God, um, I should have just quit, and I did try to just quit. And um, I was driving down Quaker Bridge Road one day, and I got a phone call from a medical liaison for the public health service, and um, he said, I hear that you're leaving because of a possible medical reason. Uh, you've had amazing um, officer reports, um, meaning my, my annual evaluations for the previous nine years, and we are willing to offer you a full retirement for the rest of your life, um, even though I didn't deserve it. I didn't do 20 years. Um, I was not in the right frame of mind at the time, and um, I just started crying in the car like, what? I, I, like, I don't deserve this. What, what is going on? Um, and so I guess kind of in the middle of that, it was easy to trust God because things were, were working out. But in, in time since then, it hasn't been that easy. And it's convincing myself that he's going to work this out for my good, even though it absolutely doesn't look like it. And in the middle of that, you know, prior to that phone call, it didn't look like it was going to go really well. And living with PTSD and now bipolar disorder on a regular basis is not easy. Um, and um, I think sometimes we make it look easy, um, but it's not. It's a daily struggle um, every day. And we have, like, these 
highly intense jobs that require us to be on our best all the time, um, and it's hard. Uh, and it's it's hard, especially when I'm having a bipolar, um, like a, a manic episode or a hypomanic episode, because I have bipolar too, where I've learned through my cycles that God is in control. So at first it used to be I was like super depressed and I blamed God for everything. And now my cycles are actually a lot better in that I don't feel it. I don't feel in control. I don't feel okay. But God just got this. Like I just have to get through this cycle mm. and, and God's got this. Um, wow. And I think because of what we've experienced and even before I met Andre, I always wanted to do psychiatric care. Um, I think a lot of people know that I want to not be a pharmacist anymore and I want to become a, ner- a psychiatric nurse practitioner. And he- he's just given us so much, like, fertile ground to work with. Um, <laughs> just, uh, like, the, what we've gone through has allowed me to have so much more compassion for people with psychiatric disorders. And he's sending them, like, he sends them. He sends them to my clinic all the time and I, I, I talk to like my psychotic patients who have tactile dysfunction where they feel things are touching them and they're down and I'm like, Yeah, that's totally fine. I understand. This is what we have to do with your medication is and other people don't don't have that understanding um with their patients like I do. Yeah. I also work at a psych hospital. I don't all of that has has come together because of what possibly what was the lowest time in, mm. in my entire life. And um I guess I'm not really answering the question because I continue to trust in God because he's brought me through some of the worst stuff. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's, that's a powerful story there for, for both of you. Um, so is there a verse that you kind of go back to? Is there a scripture verse that, you know, that's been particularly meaningful for you in in your life that you kind of go back to at times? Yes, there is. (laughs) That's this fine. is funny because it. Rachel said to have it ready, and I was like, no, I memorized it. I know this. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 11. Uh, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put, away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Um, so the verse itself is talking about uh, spiritual gifts that are referred to earlier in, in the chapter. Um, and how those gifts mature over time mm. and you use them as they mature. Um, so they're more effective as, as they mature. Um, however, I also see it as um, this life is, um, I got the phrase, That was a good phrase. It's all right. Anyway, um, so in life you have to you have to you have to step up to you have to rise to the occasion. Yeah. Um, when I was when I was growing up, my goal was to lead men and women into combat. Um, it's not normal for like fifteen year olds. <laughs> Um, so I started thinking about that verse and, um, you know, there are 20, 21 year olds who lead men and women into combat and there are 20, 21 year olds who don't, mm. um, cause they act less mature. So I feel that, um, 
to live in to be with the Lord you you have to do your best and be mature both spiritually and within the world. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Rachel, do you have a verse? I do. Um so I have um Philippians verse three. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter three verses thirteen through fourteen. And it's mostly fourteen, but uh thirteen reads, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do and this is where it starts for me, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Um, For those people who know me, um, I do do races, and sometimes they include mud, but I actually hate running. I despise it. It is the worst thing to me, and I know there are people here who do ultramarathons, and I I I don't understand it. But what I I do understand is that it's a process and it's not a sprint. And you keep going at it and you keep training. Um, And the Christian life is a marathon that ends when it ends, right, when your life ends. Um, And so pressing on, which is what it's talking about here, is just continuing to just take that one step at a time as painful as it is, um, as torturous as it is, um, as many people are going past you uh, or the people that you have to bring alongside you. Um, you just keep pressing forward. And for some reason, it just appeals to me so much because I hate running so much that I understand the process of moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right, one last thing, one last question. Is there something that you'd want to you know, say to our church or – even to future generations, you know, if there was one thing that you'd want to say about the guy that you know, you know, what would you want people to know? Like what would be the story of, you know, kind of a, of God for you? You know, what would you want to say to people? Uh, I think it goes along with what you were saying earlier, how God is always, um, he's always there, he's always present in your life, and no matter what you're going through, um, everything will fall into place, and we know the ending of the story. Um, so no matter how hard things are, no matter how bad things get, just always trust in God. That's something I've always um, I've always done at the, the worst times in training, the worst times in combat, um, the worst times in life. Just always trust in God. Yeah. If he doesn't do one more thing, he's done enough. Um, we are so blessed um, in this first world country. Uh, I have deployed to Haiti um, after the earthquake in 2010. Um, and if he doesn't do one more thing, he's done enough. Um, we woke up this morning. He's done enough. We got to make it here this morning. He's done enough. We get to hear his word without worry that they are coming for us outside. Like, he's done enough. Um, and if he doesn't do one more thing, I can still praise him, and we should all still praise him for the rest of eternity because he's done enough. Yeah. Can you please thank Andre and Rachel for sharing their story today? Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreescc.com.